Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I am Brandon Schultz, and today we have on Alistair Corp, writer-editor at Field Goals. He's got uh, an article up on Sean Alexander's 2005 MVP season that I want to talk about. Before we get there, though, Alistair, I wanted to welcome you on. And there's a little bit of news to talk about today, especially uh, Joe Fan down there in Miami. He interviewed the Griffin brothers on Thursday, and we got to hear from Shaquille Griffin talking about how he wants to travel, play more press coverage and and how he's lobbying to how he's lobbying the coaches next year to, to maybe travel a little bit more. Yeah, I think it is a uh, a noble effort. It's something that I think a lot of people would be in favor of. I'm just uh, I don't think that the coaches are among the people who would be in favor of it. Well, when you think back in in the fact that you had Richard Sherman, you know, one of the top corners in the in the game and still playing at a high level and a guy who just with calls of Darrell Rivas against him. And we even hear that coming back up now with Richard Sherman about to play in the Super Bowl. You know, that's kind of a, a knock apparently on corners in, you know, I think it's okay if you can just be good at your one position too, but I can, I can see, especially when some of the elites like Patrick Peterson and uh, Darrell Rivas, you know, that you want to be the guy that you can lock down the top guy every single play. Totally. And especially when it's such like, uh, you know, the, the personality of that position is definitely like, I want to travel. I want to take on the best guy. Like I'm the best player on this defense. Let me take him on. But yeah, I think it's an absurd knock. It, like, it's, it's such a silly thing. Like, what do you, what does Rivas want Sherman to do? Just freelance and go against their entire system. <laughs> right. like it, it's, it's so bizarre, but uh, good, good for Griffin for trying, I guess. I mean, I guess if you are a true diva, you just tell the coaches how it's going to be and you, and you throw a hissy fit if it doesn't go your way. I, I suppose you could be like that. Yeah, which is what I guess like the majority of people seem to think Sherman is now that he's gone from Seattle, even though he was an amazing leader his entire time here. You know, he's, he's an interesting personality, but he uh, he's a fantastic teammate and leader. So, yeah, it's it's just such a weird thing for me. Well, it's something that's going to be interesting to watch. And I, it is curious to see how some of this news is covered among people because you have Shaquille Griffin talking about how he would like to travel more. And then you have Russ at the Pro Bowl who came out and said, you know, I want superstars in the offseason. And I, I see it being covered out there as these guys almost demanding and, and saying, uh, that this is how it's going to be, whereas I think this is probably on in either of these cases, uh, Pete Carroll and John Schneider, they know they, that they want more superstars on the team. There's not a, a GM, a coach combo in the league that you would go to and say, oh, would you want more superstars or less superstars? And so uh, to me, that's not a huge uh, news item hearing from Russell Wilson, who just wants to be competitive. And with this, too, I think it's just guys who they want to be more competitive. Yeah, I mean, I it's funny you mentioned the real Russell Wilson thing because I I guess I missed that because I had no idea that he'd said that or anything until today. And then I saw something I didn't really think twice about it because it's kind of like I remember it was after the the Chicago game in 2018 when when Pete had said something during his radio interview and then he got caught kind of lying about it and everybody melted down. Where it's like these coaches, these players just say things like they don't think about it. They don't like they don't put any real thought into it when they're talking to media. They just say things. It doesn't need to mean anything. They just need to be, you know, Wilson's not saying that he's unhappy with supporting cast. Uh, Shaq Griffin's not saying that Trey Flowers is a terrible cornerback by saying that they're just saying things. And also with Griffin, I wonder it's a little bit of posturing because he's due for a contract extension. Sure. And he had a great year. So I do kind of wonder if there's a little bit of, you know, 
I have all of the talents of a number one cornerback and I expect to be paid uh, like it. But I also think it would be a pretty sensible thing for the defense to do. And I think I'd be in favor of it. When you consider the type of speed Shaquille Griffin has, the the fact that he has played now both on the right side and the left side, I, I think he has that capability. And it would be interesting to see you know, Pete Carroll change it up a little bit on defense and and see how things go. Yeah, I think I'm just kind of thinking back through through Griffin's 2019 and like my two favorite plays of his. Um, one of them he wasn't targeted on the other one, the ball like kind of skipped off the turf before it got the receiver. But both times he, it was against Juju Smith-Schuster and Odell Beckham. And he was like, they had like multiple breaks in their route and he was in their hip pocket the entire way. We're just thinking like last year he's lost on the first break and he's taking these two really, really good receivers. And, you know, it does make sense with, with Amade because he has so much versatility. You know, if he's your nickel in theory and, and Griffin follows whoever it is inside, Amade played 93% of his snaps in his last year at Oregon on the outside. So, like, he, he can survive out there. The one thing that would give me pause is I don't know how good it would be for Flowers' development if he was constantly having to go right to left, left to right, right oh, to left. Oh, sure. Um, because, you know, we saw, we saw the impact that that had on Griffin in, in 2018. But... I think that's a small price to pay if you're going to be able to stick, uh, I think, like an all-pro caliber cornerback on on a team's best receiver. But yeah, I think it's all just uh, just a kind of a fun, fun hypothetical right now because I have a hard time seeing it happen. <laughs> yes, it, it probably won't happen. And I know I think in the offseason we get all these big ideas of, oh, we'd like to see the coaches do this when in reality, you know, the coaches are pretty set in your way in their ways, especially Pete Carroll. You know, They will make adjustments, but, you know, wholesale changes probably not something we're going to happen, but uh, that will be something to look forward to in the upcoming season. But instead of looking forward on this episode, Alistair, I wanted to look back because this past week you wrote just an epic piece for field goals on Sean Alexander's 2005 MVP season. Sean Alexander, still the only Seahawks player to win MVP in a Seahawks uniform. And hopefully, I, I know we both hope that Russell Wilson, and he probably will get that honor at some point, considering the trajectory he's on with this being NFL Honors Weekend. It's a, it's a good reminder of just how great of a season Sean Alexander had in leading up to the Super Bowl in, in that 2005 season. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I think, truth be told, this probably could have been published had I really pushed it, I could have had it up kind of the Seahawks bye week. Mm. But at that time, Russell was burning the league down. So I thought, oh, man, wouldn't it be cool to publish this thing like six days before Russell Wilson joins him as the only team, the team's only other MVP. And then, uh, you know, that he didn't quite keep on that pace, but uh, it was it was an absolute blast to do. It does feel like there's still a slim chance that Russell could get it this weekend, but uh, I, I'm not holding out my hopes. Yeah, the only the only way that he wins it is if enough MVP voters think, you know, let's give Lamar offensive player and Russell Wilson MVP. But I have a I have a really hard time thinking that just especially the way that um, Lamar played in primetime down the stretch. Like it was just he was unbelievable. So what gave you the idea to focus on Alexander's MVP season? Uh, you know what? I can't remember the exact moment where I thought like I should do this, but um, you know, Sean Alexander is like the entire reason that I I fell in love with football. Um, started liking the Seahawks. Uh, you know, I I was ten years old when he won MVP, and and running back was my favorite position, so I was just completely taken by him um, immediately. And then I kind of started to get the sense. Uh, you know, I talked to buddies who are Seahawks fans, and I just started thinking like, especially because of the LOB era, the Pete Carroll era. It just felt like this team, you know, the 05 team was kind of like lost to time almost already, which was really disappointing to me because they're such a cool team to cheer for. Um, you know, before the 2012 and 2013 Seahawks were blowing teams out, uh, the 05 Seahawks were like 
destroying the Eagles on Monday Night Football right after they destroyed the 49ers. Um, so I just didn't really want that legacy to to be totally forgotten. So I thought it would be a fun exercise, and it turned out to be, um, yeah, just an unbelievable experience. Yeah, so how did you approach it? Uh, you know, I just kind of started to uh, put together like a list of names I talked to. Um, and for me, it kind of started with who are the core people where if I can't talk to them, this doesn't get off the ground. Obviously, Sean was the very first person who I was like, you know, if I, if I can't talk directly to him, then there's no point in doing this because I, I need to hear his side of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I kind of just put, started to put together a list of names and started, you know, sending off emails, making phone calls. And a lot of people were super willing, like somebody like Bobby Engram, um, you know, I, I reached out to the Ravens PR person and within like an hour, he had called me back and was like, oh yeah, Bobby's still really good friends with Sean. So he'd love to do it. You know, he'd love to talk about it. Oh, wow. uh, same with Rob, Robbie Tobek was super stoked to talk about the 05 team. And, um, you know, it's funny, like uh, Tobek's probably biggest legend is the the old story of where he was sick and um, like his pants and he didn't tell Hasselbeck. And uh, so, you know, you're thinking that he's just going to be this like gruff offensive lineman. I was talking to him and he was by far the most intelligent interview I had the entire time. Um, you saw why he was a center. Cause he just, the way that he talked about the game was, was intelligent, but um, yeah. So just kind of started reaching out for people. And um, luckily Alexander's people were super friendly and uh, they were all super eager to help set it up. Um, and so it came together really quickly because essentially once I had Alexander and a couple other offensive people, I was like, okay, I think no matter what, I'll be able to put this together. And uh, yeah, I just got some lucky breaks and uh, it turned out really well, I think. I didn't even mention the fact that you got Walter Jones in the article too. Yeah, and another one who is just fantastic. Um, I was saying to somebody today, you know, Alexander has that reputation for be, being soft, you know, ducking out of bounds. And, and I do kind of see where people get that because there's, I mean, it's... It, you know, it's evident in his game. Sometimes he didn't seek out contact, but the way that somebody like Walter Jones, who, you know, an absolute badass uh, out on the left tackle would talk about Alexander. Like, I don't think that that affected their opinion of him at all. Like they, these guys all just glow about him even still. So that made me feel better about, uh, you know, being a 10 year old kid in love with this player, um, you know, thinking, okay, yeah, I made it. I made the right choice. You know, <laughs> I wasn't missing anything. Like he was an absolute stud and uh, yeah, hopefully people can be reminded of that. Well, and I gl- I'm glad you bring up that reputation part of it, too, because I, I think that is a knock on Alexander's game. And I, I think it's a fair knock, too. But I I love the quote from Max Strong in the story, because I feel like I've said it to myself over the years so many times and reminding people that, yes, you know, he has that reputation. But what Max said in the story is something I, I always try and remind people. And, and the quote is, I think one of his greatest strengths was he liked to score touchdowns. Anything he could do to get in the end zone, he was going to do. He wasn't known for being a physical runner necessarily, running over people, but he would run over three or four guys to get in the end zone. Whatever it would take to score touchdowns, I think that was his forte. Yeah, that was, first of all, just hearing it read aloud. What a what a great quote. Um, but every single person, because I that quote, I think, actually came from it wasn't even really a question for the story. It was own my own curiosity, almost just getting a chance to ask the people who were around him. Because every time that I think about Sean Alexander, I think about, you know, he's kind of pressing the edge, pressing the edge and then spots a cutback lane. And it's these long winding cutbacks. And it's, you know, it'll end up being like a 30 yard run, but it took 14 seconds of game time because he just takes so long to cut back. And so I just kind of kept asking people like, what do you remember? What if you were to picture Sean Alexander run in your head, you know, what, what's the defining trait? 
every single person was like scoring touchdowns, scoring touchdowns, scoring touchdowns. And then even Sean was like talking about how, you know, if, if touchdowns weren't a part of football, I don't know that I really like the sport. And I'm like, okay, well then like, that's perfect. And, you know, I, I'm looking at his biography on my bookshelf here and it's, it's literally titled touchdown Alexander. Like that's, um, yeah, that's, that's what it is. And, and, uh, I'm just looking at another quote of his heroes. Like, you know, sometimes I would burst to the sideline and take off, but there'd be sometimes where I'm like, I just got to run this guy over and get in the end zone. And you just duck your head and truck the guy. Like that's like, he wanted the end zone more than anything else in the sport. Yeah. And, and that is my big takeaway with Alexander is if he was able to see the end zone that he was going to find the way to get there. And, and that's just, that's my memory of him. And yes, I know that because of the, I, I think so much of it gets lost because he had the MVP season and you talk about the fact that he held out going into the season or was contemplating a, a longer holdout. And uh, ultimately came in and, you know, had the MVP season. He gets the big contract. And it was I think so many of our memories are of the fact that, yes, he, he did well enough to get that contract. But then after that, you know, he ends up getting the injury and, and you cover the fact that Steve Hutchinson, he gets, you know, he ends up going to the Minnesota Vikings. And I just have to wonder, you know, how we would remember Sean differently if he gets the contract, he stays healthy. And and Hutchinson, he stays in a Seattle uniform and they have a couple more years together. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think uh, and, and Stum Mitchell touched on it, where it's like they really just straight up lost the the chance of repeating when they lost Hutch. And you mentioned the two big things that that team is kind of remembered for, you know, after the 2005 season, which is Hutch leaving Sean, just getting like breaking down essentially after that contract. And both of those things, I got to say, like, redirect your anger towards Steve Hutchins and Sean Alexander or sorry from them to Tim Ruskell because it all falls on Tim Ruskell's feet you know that was the big thing that I was trying to convey there was like Hutch does not deserve all the all the hate that he's gotten for the better part of a decade and a half now like yeah. that's that was Tim Ruskell's bad and uh you know don't blame the people for getting their money because they deserve it like blame the guy who uh, was so incompetent that you know a Super Bowl team fell apart within a couple of years And even still to this day, you hear Mike Holmgren in interviews when he's brought when, you know, someone asks him about the poison pill contract. You can still sense the emotion in his voice of how frustrated he was that he didn't get to keep Hutch. Yeah. And I mean, just the reverence everybody had for him when, when I'd ask about him, like, I think they fully realized, you know, Walter Jones may have been the best player on that offensive line, but Hutch seemed to just be like the heartbeat, the leader, um, just everything that kind of drove them uh that was him and and then yeah the next year just just wasn't the same i like pork chop womack just didn't quite do it for him well one of the cool things about this story alistair it took me back to 2005 because just as a seahawks fan and i was a season ticket holder in 99 i I got tickets the very first year that holmgren came to seattle and then uh, after that they moved to husky stadium i i gave up my tickets i ended up joining the navy and so i was on the east coast one of the few games I had a chance to go to was that Seahawks game against Washington. And that was that week four game in the 2005 season. They end up losing. Uh, Josh Brown misses a field goal. They lose in overtime. And it was curious to see that that was such a central point really in that 2005 season. Yeah. And it was something that uh, I didn't really expect at all. Um, I think that the first time that I kind of picked up on it, was Walter Jones. I just kind of asked him like, at what point did you guys kind of start to clue in like, Oh man, this running game is about to be legendary. And he was so quick to say the Washington game. Cause it was just like, 
they were getting like they drove they drove themselves crazy after that game thinking like we there's no reason for us to have lost that game and they kind of realized like who are we going to be this season and um everybody kind of buckled down you know uh i don't think i included in the story but tobek said something where um after that game hasselbeck started meeting with all the offensive linemen as a group after the week of practice to kind of go over all of their checks in the run game and just make sure that everybody knew exactly what they needed to do and um Another thing Sean mentioned, and again, don't think it's in the story, but um, part of his belief in in 05 being such a good season prior to then was he found at the end of 04, they started thinking, um, you know, they get to the line of scrimmage. And usually if you're I got a pass play, you can check into a run. If you got a run play, you can check into a pass. But they started to have these packages where you could check from one run to the other. And that's how dominant they felt that that run game could be. Um, and so, yeah, that Washington game seemed to kind of click that in their mind again that like, hey, hold on. We're going to run people over. That's who we are. And uh, I mean, it, it kicks our 11 game winning streak, right? So I think they're right. Well, a few weeks later, week nine against the Arizona Cardinals. You cover this in your article. Sean Alexander breaks off the longest run in franchise history, 88 yards. And I know that uh, when we when we do talk about Sean, it's the, the other thing, the other knock on him, is, apart from being not being physical enough, is that he had Walter Jones and Steve Hutchinson. And those guys get a lot of the credit. But. You know, there were at least five guys on that 88 yard run who had a chance to catch him. And if not for Alexander's speed, he doesn't get in the end zone on that play. Yeah, totally. I, I remember uh, or Mookie was doing an awesome job today of uh, from our field goals account, just tweeting out like Alexander highlights. And a couple of people responded to him and be like, oh, don't you mean Walter Jones highlights? It's like, come on, like watch two <laughs> of these runs and tell me that it was all because of his offensive line. Like Alexander. I think people kind of forget that, uh, like, yes, he had the, one of the best offensive lines of, of the century, but he also had some incredible traits, which, yeah, his his ability to spot cut back lanes. And then, like you said, you know, his, his breakaway speed once he got to the second, third level. I mean, Walter Jones, the person who people are giving all the credit to, compared him to Jerry Rice in terms of football speed. So I think that tells you tells you all you need to know, you know? <laughs> yeah. So when you, when you got to talking to him, what kind of sense did you get from Sean? Just how important it was for him to get the single season uh, record for touchdowns because he ultimately did get it that year. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, talking to him just in itself was awesome because um, I think a lot of the time you can interview athletes and especially if you're not like face to face, it's easy for them to kind of be a little bit disinterested or just not really putting thought into his answers. Um, but like most of my interviews were like 25, 30 minutes and my one with Sean, like went almost like 55 minutes because he was just giving me like two page long answers. You know, I, I'd be writing out our transcripts. I'm like, Oh my God, he's still going on. And, uh, like he's just the, the energy in his voice when he was describing things was awesome. Um, but yeah, it seemed to, to really matter to him. Um, you know, I, I, I hadn't realized this at the time and it wasn't something I put in the story. Um, but I guess like his aunt had passed away right prior to the Packers game when he broke the record. And so he came back into Green Bay on the Saturday night and like just was watching the Giants game who he had just lost that rushing title uh, to Curtis Martin the year prior. Watching Tiki Barber, who's going out of this year uh, and sees Tiki like break off two long runs. So he's like, damn, like now I need the record and I need to like get this many yards. Um, and so, yeah, I think he was he was really excited about it, but he was also really good about um you know, I'd kind of press him on, you know, but like, how did it feel? Like when you first scored the touchdown, how did it feel? And he was very much just like, you know, it was, it was awesome for, for everybody involved. Um, and it was actually Stump Mitchell, who was his running back coach, who kind of described it best. And just like, when I saw like the look in his eyes, when he came off the field after scoring the touchdown against Green Bay, that, that set the record, it was just like, 
relief and joy and pride. And uh, that, that was what made it really cool. Just hearing, you know, you can only say so much about yourself, but for the person who kind of had coached him since he's a rookie to be saying that, that, that resonated with me that like, yeah, it meant, it meant a lot to him, I think. Well, and just the sense of pride in the offensive line too. Yeah. And, and that was really cool was hearing that, you know, they readily admitted, like we wanted it. We, we took a lot of pride in it. And I thought that was pretty cool too, because uh, yeah, like I said, just having them kind of reaffirm their love for Sean and uh, you know, their belief in him was, was cool. And, and yeah, that the, the record part for them. Um, and, and it was just totally right. Like it wasn't just Sean's record. It like, it was the offensive lineman. Like Max said, everybody had a hand in it. And I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Those guys, they, they need to get just as much credit for it uh, as well as Sean. And I, I think when people look back on that, they do recognize that, that so many people played a part in that MVP season but uh, let's come back, Alistair. After the break, let's talk about the fact that uh, Walter Jones, the only member of that 2005 Seahawks team in the Ring of Honor. We also have a couple former Seahawks who are up for potential Hall of Fame honors this weekend. So we'll get into that all coming up after the break. Talking to Alistair Corp, writer, editor for FieldGoals.com. And talked about the 2005 MVP season for Sean Alexander. And it got me thinking back, Alistair, because for someone who is 18 years old right now, one, they've only lived a life where the Seahawks are in the NFC, which is kind of strange to me. But two, for someone who's 18, the Seahawks have only the Seahawks have had double digit win seasons or won an NFC title for 13 of those 18 season. Just just missing the playoffs five times in that, that period of time. It's crazy to me. Yeah. It's, I mean, <laughs> I say it's insane, but I'm only 24 years old. So I've lived <laughs> a pretty charmed life as a Seahawks fan as well. I mean, like well, see, and me then the, the reason why for me, uh, by the time I was 18 and I started watching the Seahawks, probably 86 or 87, I, the first playoff game I remember was the one that they faced the Oilers and lost to Warren Moon in the playoffs. So, you know, that was that was kind of the start of my Seahawks fandom. So by the time I was 18, I had maybe seen the Seahawks in the playoffs twice. Yeah, <laughs> like I exactly. I, I'm a pain for me is one season of Jim Moore. Like I didn't have to experience Rick Meyer or <laughs> McGuire or Cortez Kennedy winning defense player of the year on like a two and 12 team. You yes, know, but Chris I, Warren was amazing. Yeah, you, you, you did miss yeah. out on the Chris Warren uh, years. The Chris Warren area yeah, is uh, <laughs> I regret it every day. But uh, yeah, so I've lived a pretty charm, charm Seahawks fandom as well. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I don't think they they've yeah, the Pete Carroll era has really tainted the the Holmgren era in terms of, of uh, just the memory. I mean, they're it's, it's such a good team, such a good team. And, and it's not recognized enough. Well, it's not even recognized enough when you visit the stadium with Walter Jones being the only guy in the ring of honor. And I think part of that had to do with the fact that when they put his number up in the rafters, you go, oh, well, gosh, you got to put him in the ring of honor, too. And I do wonder now that Paul Allen was inducted as the 12th ring of honor member, maybe that starts to allow for more guys from that 2005 era to get in. It's got to. I mean, I was thinking about it today and I was like, oh, well, maybe they just haven't been gone long enough. And I was like, hang on, it's 2020. I mean, like, <laughs> Hassel X last season, the team was 2010. It's, it's time. Um, 
yeah, the the fact that only Jones is in there, uh, which obviously well deserved, but that it's only him is absolutely ridiculous. Um, you know, I, I mentioned Sean should absolutely be in there. Um, you know, whatever his reputation is with fans now, the guy is the only MVP in franchise history, and he set the all time like single season touchdown record in a Seahawks uniform. That alone, I don't care what he did the rest of his time, and also five straight years of fifteen plus touchdowns, so he's pretty damn good. Right. Um, I think he scored as many touchdowns as Chris Steve Largent, so. You know, put him up there. And Hasselbeck left Seattle with all of the major uh, passing records. And if Russell Wilson ever comes along, as the best quarterback in franchise history. So get him up there. What are we? What are we doing? Craig and Zorn are in there. You got to put Hasselbeck in there. Well, exactly. Somebody today was like, Hasselbeck, are you serious? And I was like, Yeah, Jim Zorn and Dave Craig are up there. Like, it's not a sky high bar to pass. Like, let's let's maybe give some respect to Hasselbeck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's two other guys that I would add as as must haves in that ring of honor from that team. And that would be Max Strong and Marcus Trufant. See, okay, so Trufant was the other guy that I was kind of thinking about today. I was like, well, I would love to see Satupu, but that was a really short, short kind of high. And then I was like, well, I guess Trufant too. I was like, what did, what was Trufant's like big moment though? You know, like I think that's Satupu's big moment was like the the game against Philadelphia in 05 where he, I, how many, did he have two or three interceptions that game? But like, I was trying to think like what, if you had to pin Trufant's career on one moment, what would it be? You know, I I do I do struggle with a moment for Marcus Trufant, but the big thing for me is that he spent his entire career in a Seattle uniform, 2003 to 2012. Yeah, he did leave at the end, but I don't think he actually played a snap when uh, he went to the Jaguars. I believe he followed Gus Bradley there, Uh, never played a snap for him, but just a a long term Seahawk that means a lot to the area. I I think he's a guy that I would put in there just because of the, the, the length of his career. And uh, he was a pro bowler. Yeah, no, I I definitely would not uh, be upset about that and definitely put Max strong. I mean, guy played like 15 years as a fullback and, and like, unfortunately, his career ended kind of abruptly when he when he had the the neck injury, I think it was. So right. definitely deserves that recognition. And frankly, like if we're good, I mean, also Mike Holmgren, which somebody pointed out to me today and I was like, oh, yeah, duh. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> Mike Holmgren should absolutely be in there. What are we doing? Yeah, well, he should be um, in the Hall of Fame, too. Yeah. Okay, what are we doing? Screwing around putting Bill Cower in there. Yeah. Bill Cower in before Mike Homer. Give me a break. Like, is Bill Levy going to give his Hall of Fame introduction speech? What are we doing? But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, and then also, I mean, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, Hutchinson should also probably be in there because, uh, you know, like six really good years in Seattle. But or maybe five, but but still, uh, yeah, you gotta give more recognition. I mean, I'm I'm like lambasting fans for not giving the O five team enough recognition. I just like, what about the organization themselves? Like, give some credit. I would retire number thirty seven for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, I, you know that uh, that might be a little bit strong for me, but I, I still I I understand the sentiment, and you know I would even understand it if there's a couple other guys that we're talking about for Ring of Honor. You know, you had Daryl Jackson, you had Chris Gray, one of the best guards in Seahawks history on that team. Uh, you had Lofa Tatupu, you mentioned, and one of the guys who I don't feel like gets enough credit for what he did for the Seahawks organization is Atula Mealy longest tenured tight end in Seahawks history. I feel like he got screwed out of being on the 35th anniversary team because they decided to put John Carlson on there who, you know, he I think easy, left for easy. Arizona. That's that's one of my favorite players of all time. He's <laughs> on the John Carlson slander. There. He doesn't right. deserve to be on the 35th anniversary team, Alistair. I'm just saying, find me another tight end who fake fell down and then caught a touchdown against the Saints <laughs> in the playoffs. All right. Okay. That's, that's See, that's the one play that you think of when you think of John Carlson. <laughs> It was so awesome. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, I I would make the argument for uh, DJ. Absolutely. I mean, 
one of my favorite Seahawks. Definitely get it. Get him up there. Um, yeah, I have put Tatupu up there. Like, hell, I put Rocky Bernard up there. I love that team so much. <laughs> <laughs> I put any number of guys up there without hesitation. Uh, yeah, they, they need to start recognized a little bit more. Well, if they put D-Jack in there, I, I feel like Brian Blades needs to make it too. Yeah, we could put Blades up there. We could put, uh, I mean, <laughs> that's going to start opening up a real long list. Yeah, I know. <laughs> But you know, you know what? DJ there's room. That, there. There's a whole st- length of a stadium. You can wrap that thing around a couple times. You can start like painting the names on the arches too. I can get creative with it. So put Grant Wistrom out there, I guess. <laughs> well, you know, there are some guys who have an opportunity to make their name their name known NFL wide this weekend. And one of those guys you just brought up as potential Ring of Honor guy is Steve Hutchinson, who has an opportunity to get his call into the Hall of Fame. We know he's eventually going to get there because he just he had a Hall of Fame career. At guard, unfortunately, it couldn't be in a Seahawks uniform his entire career. But then we can't forget about the other Seahawk that could potentially make it in uh, this weekend, and that's running back Edger and James. Seahawk legend, I'll never forget him and TJ Duckett. Just an amazing, amazing Seahawks running backs. Just yeah, I love that combo. Yeah, and you know, can, can be up there in the rafters with guys like Franco Harris. You know, Hall of Fame <laughs> Seahawk. Absolutely. And, you know, you get Julius Jones in there, though. You end up, you know, you Wally Pips, TJ Duckett, and it's just tra- tragic time in Seattle history. But, uh, you know, what? You know, as we joke about it, though, Ricky Waters should absolutely be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Who somebody in that oral history called uh, Ricky Waters one of the all time greats? Is that Max Strong, I think. Um, I, I'm asking you. I, I literally I, I it, do but, remember uh, seeing Ricky Waters' name because you know, it was Alexander who uh, supplanted. Ricky Waters, you know, he was drafted as a rookie, Ricky Waters, and I think it was his final season or second to last season as a member of the Seahawks. And, you know, he was still going strong at the end of his career. And you look back and I think of Ricky Waters as a member of the 49ers, but you look at his career and it's like four years with the 49ers, four years with the Eagles. And I think he had five years with the Seahawks. So I think we had we could make the legitimate claim of Ricky Waters as a Seahawk. Then there we go. It's perfect. We're, we're flying now. But yeah, it was Max Strong who said that one of the all time greats, which uh, just shows the love that fullbacks have for the running backs, which I love. Well, I, I do think Waters should get in before James gets in, which leads me to, to ask you. I have my five guys who I think should get the call this Hall of Fame weekend. I, I think Troy Polamalu should be absolutely first ballot Hall of Fame. I, I'll put Steve Hutchinson up there as getting on. Uh, Steve Atwater, I think it's time we add another safety and Atwater was just a legendary Broncos safety. I'll put, uh, Isaac Bruce. I think of all the wide receivers, I think Isaac Bruce needs to get in. And then the fifth one I I struggled with a little bit because there's still a lot of good names on this list with Alan Fanica, uh, the Steelers, uh, guard for so many years. And then he, he bounced around for a little bit after that, but Sam Mills linebacker, uh, Reggie Wayne, the other wide receiver. I think this is his first ballot for Wayne. And then you have a couple other safeties, Leroy Butler, John Lynch, you got defensive lineman, Richard Seymour and, and Bryant Young of the 49ers. So there's, there's a lot of guys in here, but I, I settled on Zach Thomas being my fifth guy. Okay. So I, I actually thought we were going to have the same top four and then fifth. I was very curious where you're going to go. Cause I have, I have also four locks in the fifth. I was kind of wavering, but Four locks, Palomalo for me, for sure. Uh, Zach Thomas. And then I also thought, you know what, let's start getting some safeties in. But I said John Lynch rather than Atwater. Mm. Um, and then definitely Hutch, uh, without a doubt. I was actually pretty surprised that he wasn't a first battle Hall of Famer. And then again, the fifth one, I was like, well, I, I don't know how to decide between Holt or Bruce. And then I was like, I don't know, like Wayne, maybe. 
Um, but then for me, I, I, I realized that, you know, something that I've been, God, I don't know, not, I'm not going to say passionate about because I probably thought about it like twice in the past year, but I want to start seeing guys who, um, you know, had these like really short peaks get rewarded for it. So I land on Tony Baselli because he was probably the best tackle in the NFL for five, six years and then injuries robbed him. But like, I would way rather a guy like Baselli get in than Frank Gore, who's going to get in for playing 15 years and being the eighth best running back for 10 of them, you know, like I right. see those guys rewarded. Um, so yeah, I, I went with Baselli for my fifth. Yeah. And, and he was a guy that I wavered a little bit on too, because he did have, you know, he, he just was like the top guy, especially for at least three straight years. And the reason why I settled on Isaac Bruce, especially among those three receivers, you look at Torrey Holt, his first year in 99 was the year that Kurt Warner entered the league with Reggie Wayne. It was Peyton Manning who was throwing him uh, footballs, you know, almost his entire career with the Colts. And you look back at Isaac Bruce and starting with the Rams in 1994, he was a dominant wide receiver before Kurt Warner came along. And he had guys like Tony Banks, Chris Miller, uh, Mark Rippon uh, throwing him footballs before Kurt Warner even showed up. And he was a dominant receiver. So I, I feel like he's the one guy of that wide receiver trio that you can point to and say, that's a guy who did it without a quarter, uh, without a Hall of Fame quarterback throwing him the football. Yeah, I, I wouldn't even argue, really. I mean, I think we talked about safety. It's like there just needs to be more of them in. There's just this weird like log jam. Um, same with pass rushers too. Like you got to start getting these guys in. And I, yeah. I don't understand. I think the hall of fame voting process is just so stupid. I mean, you know, like, uh, like going back to Baselli there, it's like, I really hope that Keekley gets in because he, you know, he only played eight years, but he was like the best linebacker in the NFL, second best linebacker in the NFL for seven of them. Uh, so I'd love to see those guys get in. I don't want to see them the, the long time get in, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I would be happy to see Bruce in because there's so many guys when you look at the finals where you're like, you could tell me, Bruce is already in the Hall of Fame, and I'd be like, "Yep, sure," but I wouldn't. <laughs> right. I wouldn't hesitate. So, get somebody like that, that in. You know, you tell me like, I don't know if Reggie Wayne is is a Hall of Famer. Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm not. He, but he made the NFL top 100, so I kind of feel like he'll he'll be a guy who gets in eventually. I'd be surprised, and I'd be kind of disappointed if he got in before either of those Rams receivers. Um, there's never once in my life where like Reggie Wayne is the best receiver in the NFL. You know, Marvin Harrison was the best receiver that Peyton played with. You know, you think Peyton, you think Marvin Harrison. And honestly, I, I'm probably alone on this one, but like I would think Dallas Clark before I think Reggie Wayne uh, when I think about like iconic Colts, you know, Reggie Wayne is probably behind Jeff Saturday even. Oh. Like, I don't know that he's all a famer in it, but also my <laughs> my credentials for this are, are non-existent. So See, I'm mixing, up my, I'm mixing up my Colts receivers already because it's Marvin Harrison that got in the NFL top 100. It wasn't Wayne. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And you don't want to you don't want to get mixed up with Myron Harris and people don't don't come back from mixing him up. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't want to make that mistake. But no, yeah, no. I, and you brought up a great point about some of these defensive guys, because you look at guys like Sam Mills and uh, even, you know, so many of these guys, they started their careers in the 90s. And Steve Atwater, he started his career in the 80s. So, you know, they you have guys that Troy Polamalu getting on his first ballot and, you know, he started in 2003 and. Gosh, you know, a guy like Leroy Butler was finished by the time that Palomalu came in the league. And it also just stunned me that the media who's voting for the Hall of Famer. Oh, God, they're the people who think that like, like Troy Palomalu is going to get in not only because he's an amazing player, he's going to get in because he's a Pittsburgh Steeler, you know? Right. And like those voters are going to vote for him because he's a Pittsburgh Steeler. And that's where I was shocked that John Lynch wasn't already in because like, you want to talk a media darling. And I'm sure he's a very pleasant man. I think he's done a great job with the 49ers, but like John Lynch is a media darling. And mm -hmm. so you think like, you know, there's a reason that Steve Atwater maybe isn't in it yet because he's not, you know, he's not a stealer. He's not, 
he's not a New York giant, you know, right. <laughs> and he's not a, not a smooth talking Stanford grad like Lynch. Um, <laughs> that plays into it too. See, I'm, I'm willing to leave Lynch off because he's kind of busy this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? He's got other things on his mind. Um, yeah, it could be a terrible, terrible weekend for him. Actually, if he doesn't get in the Hall of Fame and they lose, oh man. Yeah. Oh well. I, you know what? As, as I'm kind of rooting for that to happen, but yeah. at least, at least the 49ers lost part. Also, I'm rooting for that because he he left the Fox booth and left us with Charles Davis on the second crew. So <laughs> uh, that I kind of kind of hold it against him a little bit. But, uh, that's a really weird thing uh, to hold against him, but I, I like it. I, I'm, a, I'm a petty, petty man. <laughs> Well, Alistair, with the with the Super Bowl coming up on Sunday, some some closing thoughts on how do you think this game's going to go? Yeah, I've been going back and forth on it because I do think that the I, I adore Andy Reid, but I think the Niners are are just a better coach team. Um, but then I was thinking today, I was like, I think kind of forgotten that the Chiefs have the best player in the entire NFL and the reigning MVP, and he's playing out of his mind right now. And then I kind of considered like that. It's like, I think it just, I think it just has to be the chiefs. I just cannot see Pat Mahomes losing a football game right now. Mm-hmm. He's just playing so well. Um, you know, he, he ran the ball a decent amount of Texas tech and they're finally doing that again in the playoffs. So I'd have a really hard time picking against him. I think it's gonna be a great game, but uh, I believe, and I also hope that the chiefs will win. Although I, don't want to see Tyreek Hill win a Super Bowl. Oh, but, well, yeah. you know, they, you can't help yeah. uh, those things sometimes because I, I really want Andy Reid to win a Super Bowl because I just think oh, it would desperately. solidify just a Hall of Fame coaching career for Andy Reid. And and so I, I would like to see that happen for the Chiefs. And plus, I would like to not see the 49ers hoisting the Lombardi at the end of the day. But I mentioned it uh, on the podcast yesterday. I do think that if I had to pick a team, I would I have to pick the 49ers to win because Part of me, I just can't tie my hopes to a team that has gone down, uh, what, 21 or 24 points uh, in their first playoff <laughs> game and then 10 points in their second. I, I just can't do that to myself. Yeah, I mean, that's, if, they, if they do this to 49ers, they're going to be in trouble yes. because like Niners can run on anybody. And uh, and I mean, just the unbelievable defense. So, yeah, it, it could get. Oh, golly. Yeah, I just want a good game after last year. Oh, that's all I want. Just give me a <laughs> decent game. Um but you know, I, I think, think it will be. Cheer. I think it will yeah. be a decent game. I think it has to be. And I mean, if we just uh, kind of separate the whole 49ers being the Seahawks rival, being the same division, everything like they're a pretty likable team, in my opinion, um, outside of a couple Nick Bosa people. Um, but <laughs> I, I yeah. can't. Uh, I don't like George Kittle. Really? No. Okay. See, this is a very. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I respect him as a player, but I do I. His personality just, uh, it, I, I don't, uh, He's just, just a man child. And, uh, it, <laughs> there's a, this video where I think it was like against maybe green Bay in the regular season when he pancaked a guy and like the Fox camera caught him like laughing as he was doing it. Or I was like, okay, you're, you're, you're pretty funny actually, <laughs> but uh, he's not funny. I, like Gronk though. No, no. Gronk is just a <laughs> Gronk is Gronk. I don't know yeah. what else you could say, but, uh, I'd love to see Sherm get another ring too, though. That would make me feel a little bit better. I, w- I would be okay with that too. So I, I have, I have reasons to be okay with it no matter how it plays out. So I guess in my mind, I've, I've protected myself in that way, but uh, yes, just hoping for a good game. And I would, I would prefer not to have uh, an NFC West team win the title if it's not the Seahawks, but uh, you know that I'm just petty that way. Yeah, no, it's all right. I think we, uh, we're both petty here. It's okay. <laughs> All right, Alistair. Well, I really want to thank you for coming on again. If you haven't checked out the article, go to fieldgoals.com and read through that 
you know, especially if you've been a fan of the Seahawks during that era, there's so many names and stories that'll, that'll take you back to that 2005 season. So Alistair, thanks for coming on and recapping it for us, giving us some behind the scenes stuff that didn't make it into the article. And we'll look forward to talking to you throughout the off season. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks. Uh, it was, it was, yeah, it's fun to rem- reminisce. So it's nice talking to you. Thanks to Alistair Corp. Follow him on Twitter at by Alistair Corp. Also, you can check out fieldgoals.com. I'll have a companion piece going up with this podcast talking about our discussion about potential Ring of Honor members for the Seahawks. So if we miss somebody or if you feel passionately about maybe somebody not being on that list of names we mentioned, go to fieldgoals.com. Check out the article there and you can react and chat there. Finally, a thanks to Dookie Bear for leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. Says Brandon is my hero. Leaves a five-star review. Says if I had a boy, I would rename him Brandon. But I don't, so we're safe. Love all the work you guys put in. Thank you, and go Hawks. And yes, thank you to Dookie Bear for the review. If you want to leave a review anywhere where you listen to your podcast, be happy to read it and give you a shout out on the show. Keep tuning into the podcast. Subscribe to the show if you haven't already. SBNation.com slash NFL podcasts. And we'll be talking to you after the Super Bowl next week. Go Hawks. Go Hawks.